Well, good evening, and thank you very much for having me this evening. A, a warm greeting from the, the cold north. Um, but do please take up your Bibles um, and turn to Psalm 16. Psalm chapter 16, a miktam of David. Preserve me, O God, for in you I take refuge. I say to the Lord, you are my Lord, I have no good apart from you. As for the saints in the land, they are the excellent ones, in whom is all my delight. The sorrows of those who run after another God shall multiply. Their drink offerings of blood I will not pour out or take their names on my lips. The Lord is my chosen portion and my cup. You hold my lot. The lines have fallen for me in pleasant places. Indeed, I have a beautiful inheritance. I bless the Lord who gives me counsel in the night. Also, my heart instructs me. I've set the Lord always before me. Because he is at my hand, I shall not be shaken. Therefore my heart is glad, and my whole being rejoices. My flesh also dwells secure, for you will not abandon my soul to shale, or let your Holy One see corruption. You make known to me the path of life. In your presence there is fullness of joy. At your right hand are pleasures forevermore. Amen. Well, this evening we're just going to spend a bit of time on on one of the fruit of the Spirit, uh, the second, joy. Uh, Perhaps you noticed it coming up in that psalm many times, but perhaps for you it's a surprising uh, surprising fruit, joy. You know, if you could sum up Christianity in a word, uh, well, it wouldn't be joy, perhaps. I don't know, dreary, academic, but not joyful. Whereas for others of us, you're, you're, you're kind of all about the joy, um, although not necessarily a deep joy, but a kind of a happy-go-lucky, everything is awesome kind of thing, happy pleasure, whether it's a kind of the adrenaline junkie kind of end or the, the cozy hygge kind of end, life's, life's got it all. And we're a society, I think, that really does go for it when it comes for searching for happiness, being uplifted, glad, aren't we? So many books about happiness, so many songs about pleasure. It's often related uh, to expressing our sexuality. That's what we want, to indulge our sensuality, pleasure. And let's be honest, pleasure in itself, it's not the enemy, is it? Uh, God has given us a body with senses and a a wonderful world to enjoy. Uh, Just the other day at the dinner table as a family, we were... We were chatting about what would make the best house, and uh, a lot of our answers did centered around fun and what we enjoyed. Some of us were wanting swimming pools with slides and jacuzzis and massive TVs. Um, for others of us, beautiful views, a wine fridge and lots of books. I mean, you can work out what the age difference was there. But, um, but life, it has wonderful gifts, doesn't it? Things that we can really enjoy and should enjoy. But those moments of fun and pleasure, those moments of happiness, is that joy? Is that the fruit Paul talks about? A life just of happiness, kind of everlasting smiles with a cherry on top. Or is there something more to joy? Does it go deeper and fuller than that? Well, as we're going to see in Jesus' life, joy is, is not less than happiness. Happiness is often joy spilling over in our lives, but it's definitely more. Something 
that it, it's so great that it can actually encompass all of life. It can put its giant arms around pleasure, yes, but also sorrow and pain. It's around suffering and persecution, even around death itself. C.S. Lewis has written lots about joy. It played a big part in how he became a Christian. But he pulls joy and pleasure apart. Joy, he says, is never in our power. In other words, there's a, there's a kind of otherworldly element to joy. It surprises us. It reaches to us from outside. Whereas pleasure, he says, is often in our power. So we do different things to create pleasure. So joy, we can't just kind of click our fingers and have it. No, it's a fruit of the Spirit. It's from God himself. And to define it is hard, isn't it? But we often know when we see it in someone. Perhaps you've seen it in a Christian friend or a family member. There's a a joy in life. Even in the tears, there's this power of an indestructible life that kind of gurgles up in the midst of it. There's a refreshing enjoyment of simple pleasures, a delight in other people. And amazingly, it's often coming out of those who've suffered most, isn't it? There's a comedian called Eddie Izzard. In one of his shows years ago, he was commenting on Christian singing, especially the kind of singing you'd hear in pretty nominal churches. You know, clearly never been here and heard you guys sing. It was wonderful. But he, he spotted something really profound about joy. He said this. He said, there's something weird, something phenomenally dreary about Christian singing. He does quite a good impression. I won't do it. But then he said this, he said, the gospel singers are the only singers that just go crazy joyous and it's amazing. And it's born out of kidnapping, imprisonment, slavery, murder, all of that. And this joyous singing. Now he had spotted something, although he wouldn't admit it. But he's seen a, a power of God that can produce joy, even or especially out of the darkness of life. And that's what we want, isn't it? A life that, that radiates out of us an infectious joy, a, a rejoicing in life that can contain and, and hold and yet burst through the sorrows we face. And it's this kind of joy that Jesus shares with us. Remember, it's a fruit of the Spirit. It's the Spirit of Christ, the Holy Spirit, forming in us the likeness of Jesus. And Jesus even says so in John 15, he said this, These things I've spoken to you, that my joy may be in you, and that your joy may be full. Jesus wants us to have joy. Well, this evening, first of all, we're going to take a quick tour of Jesus' life, full of joy. And then we're going to head deeper into Psalm 16. To dig a little deeper into Jesus' source of joy. And, and we pray that as we gaze on Christ this evening and, and his joy, by his spirit, begin to grow that same joy in us. So firstly, let's look at Jesus' life of joy. Now, if Jesus said he had his joy to give us, well, if that's true, then how did we see it in the life lived 2,000 years ago in Israel? Now, the New Testament doesn't actually say much about Jesus laughing or, or smiling. And I, I wonder if we might have been tempted to see Jesus as a bit of a misery gut sometimes, a bit like a stern teacher, you know, his, his brow lined by years of frowning. You know, he was on an important mission and sins all around him. Surely he was serious, not joyful. But Jesus, he was full of joy. He was not gloomy. He was not a gloomy man, but nor was he glib. His joy wasn't shallow. So let's just see those things. Firstly, he wasn't gloomy. And we've all met gloomy people, haven't they? They, they just, 
They just kind of suck the life out of a room, a bit like a Dementor in Harry Potter. You know, any, any comment you say to try and lift spirits is just kind of put down and a deep sigh just comes out. It's a bit like Eeyore or, or Puddle Glum. It's, it'll probably rain, I shouldn't wonder. But not Jesus. Just remember how uh, the angel described the news of Jesus' birth to the shepherds. I bring you good news of great joy that will be for all people. Good news of great joy. And then Jesus becomes the preacher of that news. Surely he could not proclaim news of great joy without joy. That would have been fake and misleading. Just imagine him exuding the glorious joy he's speaking about. And this joy, we, we see it expressed in different ways in his life. He was friendly. He was loved by people. He was often eating in their homes. He supplied wine for a joyous wedding. He was even accused, no, wrongly, but it shows something of being a drunkard and a glutton. He, he partied. And we also hear of him in Luke's gospel, deeply rejoicing in the Holy Spirit. Rejoicing that God had revealed wonderful things to his disciples. There's a, a joyful life that pours out of Jesus. He wasn't a gloomy man, but nor was he glib. His joy wasn't some kind of superficial, saccharine, all kind of smiles kind of joy. As B.B. Warfield said, his joy was not the shallow joy of mere pagan delight in living. Yes, he was often happy in life, but it wasn't as if he just kind of went from party to party, keeping up this kind of endless carnival atmosphere, keeping away the difficulties of life and the hardships. You know, kind of keep away if you're going to ruin my happiness. No, he wasn't glib. We all know there's a, a difference between a person who's hardly suffered and says, it's okay, just keep smiling, to the person who has walked dark paths. And is yet full of life and holds your hands and still prays for joy for you. Jesus, he was a man of joy. Yes, but he's a man of sorrow. He spent time with the sick and the disabled. The tormented and the victimized. He wept with the grieving. He shed tears over his lost people. He went through a turmoil of spirit we can never imagine as the dark shadow of the cross loomed over his life. Especially his final days. The Garden of Gethsemane was not a garden of, of laughter and frivolous drinking. It was a place of earnest prayer. Jesus, he was a man of joy. And somehow his joy was not intention or opposition to the suffering he witnessed and experienced. He wasn't confused or torn. He had an emotional life that kind of allowed them to come together somehow. As John Piper puts it, there, was, there were divergent notes in the music of his soul. But the result was a symphony. Here was joy, not gloomy, nor glib, but rich and infectious, something lasting and glorious. It's Jesus' life of joy. It's a wonderful vision, isn't it, of the full life? Is that how you've pictured him? A life of joy. Because it's the kind of life we'd love to have, isn't it? We'd love to have this kind of experience, not a gloomy life, and not a, uh, but also not shallow or glib. So how, where did Jesus' joy come from? Well, the Psalms give us a wonderful window into the emotional life of Christ. Yes, they're written hundreds of years before Jesus, but because they're written by the Spirit, they had a prophetic quality. As, as David, a, a forerunner, appointed to Jesus, wrote, God allowed him to express a glimpse of the true king, the one David was just a shadow of. And as Jesus sang these Psalms hundreds of years later, suddenly they could be heard in, in new technical life. That's the thing. 
So here in Psalm 16, we get an insight, not just into uh, Jesus' life of joy, but his source of joy. His source of joy. And we're not going to look at everything in this psalm, but simply spend a moment on what brings joy to God's king. And it's as simple as this. It won't surprise you. It's God himself. God himself. And firstly, it's God himself now. Come with me to verse 5. The Lord is my chosen portion and my cup. You hold my lot. The lines have fallen for me in pleasant places. Indeed, I have a beautiful inheritance. I bless the Lord who gives me counsel. In the night also my heart instructs me. Right here in the center of the psalm, we see the glorious source of Jesus' deep joy. It's the Lord himself. Jesus has God as his chosen portion and cup. That's like saying as his food and drink, that God is all he needs. He's his daily bread. Verse 6, the lines have fallen for me in pleasant places. Jesus sees God in his life like a a beautiful piece of land, say, an an inheritance. And it's just the way he'd hoped. You know, it's kind of flat, fertile soil here for sowing. There's there's lush grass on the hills uh, for his animals. Beautiful views from the craggy summits. And God's presence, it's... It's wonderful because of the relationship he has. Verse 7, I bless the Lord who gives me counsel. Look at the little summary in verse 11. You make known to me the path of life. Jesus' source of joy was God himself now. God didn't leave him bereft or in the dark. He didn't say, you can know me tomorrow, but not today. He was with him. Jesus knew him. He knew his ordering and his help in his life. The, the Son of God walking on this earth had a wonderful delight in his Father. Jesus' great joy came from a deep fellowship with God himself. It was not found by looking for joy. You know, if you try to get joy, you'll be grasping after the wind. Slip through your fingers. No, for Jesus is about knowing a person. And God wasn't some static rock that is just to be looked at for Jesus. He wasn't kind of a work of art to be admired. Instead, he was to be known, to be enjoyed. Now, we glimpse this in our own friendships, I think. If you, if you just analysed your friend every time uh, you met them, you know, you, you know you're, you're wearing new glasses, you speak with a Birmingham accent, you speak kind words to people. It's not actually much of a relationship, is it? They'd be like, can we, can we actually interact, please? And so the source of joy is in relationship. And, it, and, it, and so it's outside of Jesus. Jesus wasn't having to locate it in himself. He wasn't having to search for the hero inside of himself. Or to be happy with who he was. Or being the best version of himself. No, the source of joy comes from outside. But this source outside of him, it only works if it's the most wonderful and glorious one. Not only is deep and real if the source of joy is in himself infinite life and glory, the true God himself. Jesus not only had an external source of joy, he had the right one. Did you notice he kept himself firmly from fake gods, verse 4? The sorrows of those who run after another God shall multiply. Their drink offerings of blood I will not pour out or take their names on my lips. The second half shows his attitude to other gods, doesn't it? He, he will not touch them with a barge pole. He, he won't go near their sacrifices, not even take their name to his lips. Why? Because fake gods, idols, they rob us of joy. Did you notice? Sorrows shall multiply. 
False gods, they, they promise much, but they deliver little. Often their promises are shallow, and all they provide are short-lived pleasures. But sorrow comes in the morning. The God of sex offers joy as you sleep with whoever you like, and after the fleeting pleasures of the affair, a wrecked family and hurting kids sit before you. The God of drunken escape offers joy as you party hard and leaves you with an empty wallet, a banging headache, and wondering what hurtful words you let out in those dark hours. The God of self offers joy to those who are just themselves and leaves you desolate when you find sin and hurt, guilt, past mistakes, failure inside with nowhere to turn apart from further in. They promise much but end up robbing us of joy. No wonder Jesus kept away from them. No wonder he fired back at Satan. Be gone, Satan, for it is written, you shall worship the Lord your God, and him only shall you serve. God himself now, that was Jesus' source of joy. And the glorious truth of the gospel is that Christ doesn't, doesn't keep God for himself. We don't just kind of look on in envy. Jesus brings us to him too. The triune God is our portion and cup. The Spirit comes to us. He unites us to the Son in heavenly glory who then brings us to the Father as our Father. In Christ God, the source of Jesus' joy, he becomes our joy. We have in our hands the most beautiful treasure anyone could behold. Everything else fades in comparison, you know, so if I, I lost my phone, my nice car, my house, my holidays, my friends, it, it wouldn't matter. Because I still had the glistening gemstone of God himself, full of colour in my hands. In our heavenly God we find not a glib happiness that ignores suffering and pain, instead we find a relationship that cannot be extinguished that can contain all of life's twists and turns. He's with us in a way no one else is. As we look at life, we just want to say, the lines have fallen for me in pleasant places. I have God himself, through Jesus, who gives me his joy. But it's not just now. This psalm gives us a window into the future too. God himself then. God himself then. Just have a look with me at verse 8. I have set the Lord always before me. Because he is at my right hand, I shall not be shaken. God's God's presence here means there's a permanence for Jesus. He, He shall not be shaken. In other words, it can't be taken away. Therefore, verse 9, therefore my heart is glad and my whole being rejoices. My flesh also dwells secure. It's this security, that's what is bringing him joy. And he goes on, verse 10, For you will not abandon my soul to shale, that's the place of the dead, or, or let your Holy One see corruption. Jesus has a present joy, my heart is glad now, because he is secure for the future. God won't abandon him then. And what in particular is secure? Verse 11, in your presence There is fullness of joy. At your right hand are pleasures forevermore. What's secure? It's God himself. God himself then, in the future. Because of God's promise to Jesus, 
To not let him stay dead. To not let him rot in the grave. But to lift him up to life. Jesus knows God's presence is always guaranteed for him. As Jesus lived his 33 years in Israel. Particularly as he walked towards the cross. He had a joy because he knew not even death could separate him from his father in heaven. He was staring that cross in the, in the face through the lens of the resurrection. The writer to the Hebrews puts it like this. Who, for the joy that was set before him, endured the cross, despising the shame, and is seated at the right hand of the throne of God. There was a joy that was ahead. God himself then as well as now. Now this is vital. The, the source of his joy couldn't change or go away. God wasn't some fleeting pleasure for tonight with no assurance of what he'd be left with in the morning. That's often our experience of life, isn't it? We, we live from kind of pleasure to pleasure. We live from holiday to holiday or weekend to weekend. We scroll our diaries looking for the next moment of fun or excitement. Because we know they come and then they go. Holidays, they're wonderful things, aren't they? But then they fade and vanish. They're like mist, vapor. They're here and then gone. But they point beyond themselves to a joy that doesn't change or fade. The longing they create hint of a longing satisfied. Jesus could enjoy all the moments around him as they were meant to be enjoyed because he knew the real source of joy could never be taken from him. God was never going to abandon him, never going to leave him, never going to forget about him. God himself then, well, that was his source of joy now. You know, imagine knowing your closest friendship is, is never going to end. I don't know, perhaps your best friend or your spouse. Imagine that. It gives such a wonderful, deep comfort, doesn't it? Knowing it's, it's always going to be there. Well, that was Jesus. He knew his greatest love, his greatest treasure, his father could never be taken away. And Christ offers that to us. He offers us a certainty that we, could, we will never be abandoned or forgotten by God. In Christ, our future is secure too. We have a resurrection hope like Jesus. Not based on our worthiness. Not because we're God's holy one. Certainly not. But because we are found in Jesus. His resurrection is the hope of our resurrection. The empty tomb means uh, ours will one day be empty too. The source of our joy, God himself, will not be snatched from us. He won't slip through our fingers like everything else in this world. In fact, in the resurrection, our present joy is going to be incomparable to the deeper, richer, more real expression of it then. We will see glory. It's going to be even better. And joy now, well, it's holding on to the greater joy of then. It's knowing God will say, well done, good and faithful servant. Enter into the joy of your master. As Paul said, nothing can separate us from the love of God in Christ. God himself now, yes, but also God himself then. And what's lovely about Jesus is that his delight in his father just spills out into a delight of his brothers and sisters. Did you notice that in verse 3? As for the saints in the land, they're the excellent ones in whom is all my delight. 
Isn't that wonderful? Christ's joy is found in God. And then somehow that means there's space for even more joy. Jesus delights in us. And that delight is part of his story as he walks through the dark steps of Calvary. His rescue was fueled by a love and, and a delight in what he was doing for us. He loves to share his joy with us. These things I've spoken to you that my joy may be in you and that your joy may be full. In Christ we have what the world is looking for. Not fleeting pleasures. God himself forever. But what about the twists and turns of life? Perhaps we get this when we've had a good day. You know, we, we turn up at church, we sing our favorite hymns, Through the sermon, the Holy Spirit just spoke wonderful words of comfort to our souls. We kind of get how joy works then, don't we? But life isn't always like that. On a very mundane level, you know, I wrote this sermon a little while ago and I'd woken up that day a bit grumpy. You know, I hadn't slept great. I found the exuberant life of my children at 6.30 a bit much and felt the only way through the day was through a large cup of coffee. Now, for some of you, that's, that's actually nothing. Sounds like a good day. For some of us, perhaps, the mental darkness can be very real. I'm not necessarily meaning something like clinical depression, something that is often helped by medication. But instead, those low sorrows, those days of inside pain and tears, perhaps of grief, of worry. What does the joy of God mean In those moments, how can we follow Paul's command to rejoice in the Lord always? Well, I wonder if it's like a well in our soul. A deep source that that comes out, that expresses itself differently depending on what's going on around us. But also one that's never ruined or changed by what's going on around us. Knowledge of God, enjoyment of him when life feels as if the lines are full pleasantly. Well, it allows us to overflow in thankfulness and life. It allows us to give ourselves for others and to find the right kind of gladness in the gifts of life. Enjoying them for what they are, not just the pleasures they bring us. May no one say of us we're gloomy. But it also overflows in the harder moments, in the moments of pain and tears. How? I wonder if it overflows in endurance, in sticking with Jesus, in knowing he's worth it. That although weeping may tarry for the night, joy comes with the morning. And we just know we we have someone. Someone wonderful holding us safely, carefully, graciously. We're thankful what we do have. We, we, we reach down perhaps into our deep pockets and force ourselves to, to bring that treasured jewel, that pearl of great price out into the light and we gaze it upon it afresh. God himself in Christ. And we, we let the spirit just for a moment take our minds off those sorrows onto the one who became the man of sorrows. Take our mind off the pain we have onto the one who knew pain for us. And onto the one who sent him, onto the God of heaven above. The one in whom is found all the fountains of life. The one we can gaze upon day after day after day for eternity long. And we will not have reached the depths of joy that we'll find in him alone. Our portion and our cup. And just for a moment, we say from the depths of our heart. In your presence, 
There is fullness of joy. At your right hand are pleasures forevermore. Amen.